the life gets more exciting when you dig a little bit deeper and, and, uh, and form those good relationships. It's funny, I wasn't really locked into a vision per se. I just felt that if I changed my every moment, if I changed the way I looked at every moment in life, that, that things would reveal themselves. And it turns out that would happen. I'm all about stepping back, occasionally taking a deep breath, looking around and going, man, how good is this? Welcome to the Unlocking Happiness Podcast. I'm Amy Dix, international best-selling author, speaker, and founder of Choose Happy. Collectively, our community builds a better world. I believe life is made up of moments. We have short moments, long moments, good moments and bad moments. We make sure that all of your life moments are filled with meaning and joy. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the internet's happiest podcast. Now let's unlock happiness. Hello, all you crazy happy people. Amy Dix here with Choose Happy. And today we are unlocking happiness with Mike Brandon. Mike, I'm so inspired by you and everything that you are doing and all the things that you have achieved so far. You walked away and retired at age 40 to explore what you called the art of living. And I love that so much. I can't wait to dig into that. And you write all about it in your new upcoming release book, not upcoming, it is released, it is out there. And that is titled Pickleball and the Art of Living, The Power of Positive Dinking. Let's start there. What the <laughs> heck is dinking? See, that's like, dinking is like, if you know what that phrase means, that's that's your secret code word to know that you're part of the pickleball clan. You know, ah. the, the, the inner group. So, so a dink in pickleball is this soft little shot that allows you to not get attacked by your opponent. It's a way to actually finesse your way into winning points rather than just slamming them with power. Part of the cool thing about pickleball, it was invented by some guys back in the 70s in Washington State. And they wanted a game that their kids and their wives and their older friends could all play that wouldn't give you know, athleticism, such a pass, you know, such, such a prominent role. So they designed, they designed little parts of the game that allowed the finesse player, the thinking player to be able to succeed as well. So it makes it much more of an inclusive game. And I like the idea of, of positive dinking also, because in, in life, sometimes you have to finesse your way through rather than just barge through doors. So there's, a, there's, these are one of the many parallels between life and pickleball. Oh, I love it. Now, every time I hear that word, I just think like in my mind, I just hear it go, dink. Yeah, dink. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the sound it makes. It's this little dink. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. So when did you get into pickleball? Probably, I think it's like five or six years ago. And um, and it's the typical pickleball vibe too. The reason if you don't play pickleball, the, the book is still hopefully is very relatable. It uses pickleball as a metaphor for life but you don't have to be on the inside to uh, to get something out of it, hopefully. The way I got into pickleball is just out for a run one day and uh, I ran by the gym where I used to play basketball and I saw all these, um, let's put them life experienced people um, <laughs> in this gym, knocking this little ball around with these weird little paddles. And as, as is typical with the pickleball community, they saw me standing up there and like, hey, come join us. So I went over there and I got into it. I said, this is fun. And, you know, five or six years later, I, uh, I play, I coach, I write books about it. And uh, it's, it's a big part of, of every day. So it's, it's been a really unexpected passion that's come up. 
That's really interesting. Uh, I expected you to say like, oh, I've been playing it for 30 years or yeah. something. But no, no, no. Just like five. And now you're a coach. I mean, yeah. way to just like take something and run with it. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been fun. You know, I, I fell into that by accident, too, because I would be playing with people. And, and apparently I was just slightly more helpful than obnoxious. And so people started to say, hey, you know, could you work with me? And I said, OK. And it's grown into quite a big big deal. So it's been a lot of fun. I've just met the best thing is I've met so many fun, interesting people. And we've connected on levels, obviously beyond pickleball. And it's kind of like what you're doing, you know, you, you meet people. But you know, it's life gets more exciting when you dig a little bit deeper and and, uh, and form those good relationships and talk about something besides the weather. So yeah, <laughs> it's been fun. <laughs> I have a lot of weather conversations. It's so funny. My uh, brother, used to say like, I cannot stand to see weather related updates on social media, right? Like that was his thing. He's like, no weather related updates. And I think it's so funny because every great conference call in corporate America starts with, hey, how's the weather there? And I always just thought, man, there's gotta be something better we can talk about. <laughs> so I think that's funny that you say that. Um, is, yeah. So tell me like, what do you think is the greatest parallel between pickleball and life? I would say that there's so many parallels, but I think the great underlying one is that no matter what you do, if you approach it with passion and inclusiveness, it's going to make the journey a lot more worthwhile because you can show me someone who's brilliant. You can show me, show me someone that works really hard. But if you show me someone that, that digs into life with some emotional intelligence mm. and says, okay, you know what? I'm going to look to get the most I can out of this experience. It's not necessarily winning every game, although it's fun to win. And, and in business too, you're competitive, just like you are in, in pickleball. Obviously, there's that element always to life. You know, we're, we were, uh, we've evolved to be competitive creatures. That's why we're, uh, we're sitting where we are. But if you're, I think if you're not en enjoying that journey, if you're not reveling in the people around you and just not being filled with gratitude about being able to do this dance in the first place, it, you know, it just loses this luster. So I'm, I'm all about stepping back occasionally, taking a deep breath, looking around and going, man, how good is this? Mm -hmm. So that's, I think that's the main parallel. If you, if you can say that about pickleball, hopefully you can say that about your life as well. I love this. So Speaking of taking a step back, let's take, I want to take a step back to you retiring yeah. at age 40. So right. what kind of got you to that point? I mean, I don't think a lot of people can say that they retired at age 40. Yeah, I, I guess it's becoming uh, less rare these days with the internet folks, you know, printing money overnight. But uh, back in the brick and mortar days when I was a young person, <laughs> uh, you know, I had a, a, a construction company and uh, it's, I worked really hard for a long time and kind of went nowhere. And then at age like 33 or 34, I formed my own company. And uh, six years later, it, it had become one of the biggest companies of its kind. And at that point, I had kids that were 10 and 12 years old. And I was so wrapped, wrapped up in the business. You know, it'd been a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week thing for so long. And my wife and I worked together at it. She was the CFO and I was the CEO. And it just becomes so all consuming. And, and it, it came to a point at where eventually we would get a new project and my employees would all be high fiving. And I would be thinking, well, what could go wrong here? And I said, wait a minute, check yourself. You've lost, you've lost that passion. And I thought, you know what, I've, I didn't, I didn't do well enough where most people would retire, but I did okay enough where I thought, Hey, you know what? It's time to step aside and let these young guys with their energy that I've trained well and trust completely to, to do their thing 
And it's time for me to spend some more time with my kids and see, is there more to life than mm. building that balance sheet? And it, it just really came all of a sudden over me. And I said, you know what, if this doesn't work out, I'll take a year. I, I took a year to build my my home, um, which was a great, almost like a, um, a meditative experience. You know, you're just completely wrapped up in it and your mind and your body's wrapped up every day. So it was a great departure. And by the time I'd finished that, I was ready for something new. And so I, I went after it and I went in all different directions. I went into the nonprofit world. I ended up teaching high school for a while. I became a massage therapist. I, I, just, I just wanted to live uh, a lot of different lives in this one life I have. And it's been a, a, such a blessing, such a wonderful journey. So interesting that um, when you said that moment where you took on a project and where you were like, okay, so what could all go wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that that is so powerful. And I got the goosebumps actually when, when you said it and said, hmm. you know, it's time to leave this to the younger folks or whatever that I've trained and I trust. And I think that that's the key piece there is that, that you train them and that you yeah. trust them. And as leaders, a lot of times people, I think, just kind of take on and, and they can never get out because they haven't like really created this environment for other people to thrive. So I just want to congratulate you and honor you for, for oh, that. Cause I think that that's so great. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it was, I was so fortunate to be in that position, but it's true. I've got, I think we both have so many friends that are in different stages of their business lives where they kind of, you can kind of build a wall around yourself and trap yourself inside. Like, so it's great. The only way to break out of that is to have other, um, other people that can carry on for you. And also to let it go and realize it's funny it's to realize that you're not all that you're not the yeah. only person that can do this. Sometimes you kind of go that, Oh yeah, look at this guy. He's the one, you know, he's, you know, I can make it rain baby. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, there's a lot of people that, that have a lot of skills and, uh, and if your head and your heart aren't in the right place, you're not the person for that job at that point. Love that. I mean, self-awareness is such a great quality to have. So um, I love that so much. Okay. So you leave, you have all this self-awareness, this big aha. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it really like in that moment happened like that, but you know, it's a good story to tell like that. No, but so so you do, you have the self-awareness and you start to feel a certain way and you're like, you know what, I can retire. I'm going to retire. And so you retire and you build your house. You have like, I'm assuming like these visions of what life is going to look like for you. And what surprised you the most about what your vision was versus what actually happened in reality? What a cool question. (laughs) Um, It's funny. I wasn't really locked into a vision per se. I just felt that if I changed my every moment, if I changed the way I looked at every moment in life, that, that things would reveal themselves. And it turns out that would happen. I gave myself space. I think that's the greatest thing. I gave myself space to see, Hey, what's going to happen. If I had kept on doing what I, what I was doing, I could have made a ton of money. I could have been like, you know, because the companies continued on and the guys that ran with it just recently sold half of it for millions and millions of, you know, so there was a lot of opportunity to get, to get some really big scoreboard as far as money went. But it was so cool to be able to wake up every day and go, you know, I'm not really sure what's going to happen today. I'm not sure what direction this is taking. And, you know, to be fortunate enough to experience that and to be in the position to experience that, I don't take that for granted. It's It was great. But I almost, it's almost like going back to that time, like when you get out of school for the first time and you're on your own yes. and, and you're like, 
and you go, I don't know really exactly what I'm doing here, but I'm going to, I'm going to go after it and see what happens. And I'm going to surround myself with good people and, and, and I'm going I'm to read great books so that, that can guide me. So that's what I did. And so I was able to, you know, have moments with my kids. I, I fell into, uh, uh, to Buddhism and philosophy. And, um, I started some, some men's groups. We read great books together and made great connections. I traveled the world, the, the, but you had to create the space first for things to happen. I think that that is really, really important for everyone to consider because um, oftentimes we run at, I don't know, 100 miles per hour, maybe a thousand miles per hour, right? (laughs) And the unknown is very scary. And so to give yourself the space is scary, so scary because you don't really know what is to come, but you're just trusting that if you give yourself the space and honor the space that it will come to you. And so I love that so much. And that is a lesson I've also learned in life. And it's amazing what actually comes of that when, when we slow down. So well great said. comments. And you said that you kind of, I don't want to say found Buddhism, but got huh? involved. Like, I don't know how you say that, but yeah. I, I, yeah how about, how about I, I blindly stumbled into it. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> that's that's so, usually my, my technique, by the way, is I just like, like, Oh, what's this? Here, oh, here's a pickleball game. Oh, here's Buddhism. You know, oh, here's an ice cream Sunday. Oh, this is really good. You know, so. <laughs> I like it. And you talk about Buddhism throughout the book too. And yeah. so tell us a little bit about like how did you um would you say blindly stumble upon or is that yeah. what I just am thinking That's um was, how'd yeah. you come across it and how has it kind of shaped who you are uh, once again it was the space I had just to, to finally be able to oh I know I can read a book now oh how sweet is this instead of like you know working on on, on the business every day and so I just started you know one thread led, led to another and I never really I was not really raised in a religious background pretty much tabula rasa I just uh <laughs> And so I was able to approach, I, I thought to myself, gee, there's this big hole in my, my, my intellectual resume that I don't really know much about religion. I threw myself into, I read everything I could on, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, whatever. And the, the Buddhism actually resonated with me because it spoke to me more as a, as being more practical for me. Everybody has their own way of, of finding what works for them, but I was looking for almost a, uh, it's almost like this is like thousands of year olds first self-help book because it talks about <laughs> things like acceptance and awareness and the concepts of impermanence. So you, you and ego. So you, you start looking inward, which I hadn't done as much. I was always, you know, bursting outward into the world and trying to do things, but it was that look back inward that I went, Oh my gosh, this isn't, this is intoxicating and, and illuminating. And so I got into it and I, I started to play around with the principles, like just a simple one, like um, acceptance. You know, I'd always been that headstrong guy that, uh, you know, I'd rather run through the wall than, than go around it. And uh, I started to, to realize that I think I, I was reading something on your bio this morning about uh, uh, being in traffic behind a truck. You know, mm-hmm. you can either stay there or you can pull out and go around it. And it's scary to pull out and go. It's scarier to go out and around it. But you, you got to take a chance. You got to you not, not stay in your lane and, and get out there and do something. And so I started thinking about that and, and going, you know, it really is one of those binary choices. I can either accept and there's a lot of power in acceptance. Just acceptance isn't isn't necessarily passive. It can be the, really the wisest choice sometimes to surrender to what is. 
And there's other times when you do pull out and you, you gun it and you uh, and you go for it. So it's those common sense things that, that started to appeal to me. So I started to look at Buddhism, not as necessarily a religious practice, but as a way to live the best life I could. Awesome. So Buddhism aside, but just the concept of looking inward, yeah. uh, you say that you never really did that much in life. So how do you think, like, if I were to ask, are you married? I am. Okay. If I were to ask your wife, <laughs> don't ask how, her anything. <laughs> how has that, how has that changed Mike since he started looking inward? What would she say? How has it changed you the most? I'm less reactive. Ah. Well, I think one of my favorite sayings from a Buddhist monk was my secret is I don't mind what happens. And another way it's been put is I don't take things personally as much. I realize yeah. it's usually it's the other person's drama. It's not me. And you got to take responsibility when you screw up, of course. But in most cases, there's people that are looking to impose their drama on, into your world. Mm -hmm. And you have to actually invite them in in most cases to let that happen. And you just you, there's there are skill sets. I talk about this in the book to to not let people that can damage you into your life and take such a prominent role in it. I call it curating curating relationships. If you look around you and you take a good look and say, who in my life builds me up as opposed to takes away my energy, it's a pretty straightforward thing. And you have to be just a little bit dispassionate about it sometimes. You have to go, you know what? I got to take care of myself here. I mean, I've got to make sure that if I'm in toxic relationships, that once I pair that away, not only does it get rid of that, but it, again, it creates space for better things to come in, for you to be able to create your own world rather than to live the world that you've been thrown into. Mm -hmm. So that's been a real revelation for me. And it's ongoing. It, it never ends. Right. That's so, right. Uh, yeah, it's just the, that, that common sense stuff really helps me. So, again, I've become less reactive, more accepting. Doesn't mean I don't get irritated sometimes. And I and, and but I allow myself whatever it is, five seconds, 30 seconds. There's a great line. Also, this philosopher I listen to sometimes uh, talks about the concept of how long do you want to stay angry? Mm, how so long good. Uh, so 10 good. seconds is that good how about 10 days how about 10 years <laughs> you know hey it's your call whatever you want to do so, so good you have that power you can actually and you know, all i can say if you want to test it out just start driving in traffic for all day and see you know that's a great practice to see how angry you want to stay <laughs> yes 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 uh <laughs> you know i often say that releasing yourself of toxic relationships is one of the hardest things to do in yeah. life. And I'm curious, did you have any toxic relationships that you had to release yourself from? Sure. And what was the hardest one that you had to kind of overcome? Well, the most difficult was my first marriage. Um, and that that happened when I was like 29 or 30. And um, it came to a point we had a young daughter and it was, you know, the old staying together for the kid. And then I finally had the revelation that this is not doing the kid any favors mm. um, to, to model just a beautifully toxic relationship for her. Mm. Um, and, and it was scary as hell. I mean, I hated the idea of moving out. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. You know, I was, my work life wasn't going great. So it was really, really scary. But again, once I did it, it opened up the space to meet my second wife and current wife and hopefully future wife. And, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, it, it's it again, it, it was really difficult. And a lot of it was I had to deal with my again, my own ego, my own self image. Mm. I didn't want the world to, to think I was a failure that I couldn't make this marriage work, you know, uh, putting pressure on myself to be the perfect worker, the perfect husband, the perfect friend, you know, the perfect athlete, whatever. 
And it was just a fool's game after a while. I started to realize, why are you, why are you beating yourself up? Why are you putting yourself in situations that you really can't win? Have that courage to pull out around that truck and hopefully uh, pass them and instead of running into on- oncoming traffic. And it turned out to be a, a, the, of all the things that happened in life, this is no dis- disrespect to my first wife. We, we both, this was our training marriage. You know, we both had to figure it out, you know, it opened up our world to, to do better things separately. And it's been a joy to have done that. Yeah, that's really beautifully said. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, ever dealt with any like major grief in life? Yeah, um, I think I think everyone has. There's there's the, the Buddhist parable again of the woman who's who's disconsolate when her um, her child dies. She comes to the Buddha for advice and he says, go to every house in the village and bring me back a mustard seed for every family that has not been touched by grief. And she returns much time later with an empty hand. So everyone has has grief in their life. I uh, uh, the most difficult thing to deal with is my youngest brother's in prison for life. He's, uh, you know, you know, made some made some poor choices, and the effect on my family's been very very difficult. And then his son was murdered, uh, unrelated to it, but you know, having to deal with that um, at, at at age eighteen, he was murdered. And uh, so you know, there's everybody has stories, whether it's your your parents, your friends, whoever. Grief is always with us, and that's one of the things I write about in the book. Um, the, the chapter, there's a, I reference a book called, uh, when things fall apart, not, not if things fall apart, mm-hmm. they will. This is the nature of life. Once again, Buddhism talks about the love, the, uh, the idea of impermanence and that, and you look around you and you see everything comes and goes. And then the revelation that you don't want to get into is, Hey, I'm one of those things. Mm. And so the sooner, the sooner we get to, to dealing with that, the more we can, let that go and, and say, hey, while I'm here, baby, I'm going to make it happen. So good and so true. I think we have this huge fear of death. And yeah. because of that, it, it halts us a lot of times in, in living our life. So in yeah. that chapter that you talk about and share the story, what are some of the, the suggestions that you give to the readers in order to kind of like overcome? There's a, um, a meditation technique called Vipassana. And really, it, it, you can translate it different ways. I translate it as seeing clearly. And I think a lot of the power that you get out of your life is when you see things clearly. But you have to take the time, whether it's sitting on a pillow meditating or just, you know, sitting on a, on a lawn chair at the beach looking out over the ocean, you know, whatever works for you. Take time to see things clearly. The, the more, the only way to really live well, I think, is to cultivate awareness. Otherwise, all we're doing is acting out our conditioning. I mean, it's just like, you know, if you give me stimulus A, I can tell you're going to have a response B, you know, and you're like a robot, right? Once you break that cycle and you pause and you try to see clearly, then that's where life opens up. You realize that you actually do have choices that you can break away from your momentum and create new opportunities and new ways of being. But it takes the pausing. And then after that, it takes the courage to make the changes. So the advice isn't necessarily do this, do that. It's pretty much pause and look for yourself, be your own doctor, be your own therapist and say, Hey, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. But if you don't pause, you just get swept away with the business of life. There's all this, there's never been more stimuli than there is right now at our fingertips in front of our eyes. I mean, you're just bombarded all the time with 
the necessity to react to something. Mm -hmm. And the only real power you get is that when you're not in that reactive mode, you're in the place where you're acting and you have to pause before you can act. Yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. You talk about finding your enough and how unrealistic expectations really kind of derail our happiness. So tell us what that means. Yeah. Finding your enough is another huge thing. And I think I hinted at it earlier where, um, about my divorce story is that I was afraid people wouldn't think I was enough. I was, I was afraid I wasn't enough, you know, and, and I didn't want people to, to peek through my defenses and see that, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not all that. And paradoxically, that's the only way to, to really enjoy life is to go, Hey, you know what? I'm pretty cool, but I'm not all that. I don't, there's nothing to, I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to work 24 seven on my image and create the perfect Facebook profile and all that other (laughs) junk we get into, you know? So, you know, finding your enough takes the pressure off because uh, in some level, you know, you can always go through your entire life saying, well, but if I'd only, you know, you can always play that game with yourself, but to paraphrase a a book about golf, life is not a game of perfect. It's about just going ahead and, and going after it, you know, whether it's, 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 you know, meditating, making sure your relationships are great, playing pickleball, you know, whatever you're into, just get into it in the, in the parallels. This is where pickleball is a great learning experience or any sport, because you know what, you're going to miss, you can do everything right. You can work so hard and you know what, sometimes you miss. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It really is okay. You know, um, yeah. as a matter of fact, uh, there's never been anybody that didn't miss once in a while. So right. <laughs> let, let, let it go and, and move on and enjoy the moments that you do have that, that work out for you. There, there's, I was reading again about your bio a little bit and, and you touch on something which I love. There's this book called Hardwiring Happiness, which I write about in my book. It's such a powerful thing. And you really have to practice focusing on positive things rather than negative things because we've evolved to see negative things that's the way we survived as a species if you're if you're looking around for that tiger you're going to be a real neurotic mess but you're also going to live <laughs> and, and if you're out there just you know meditating look up into the sky and you walk into the tiger's den that's not going to work out so great for you so we, <laughs> we've evolved from those those neurotic scared people so we've got to work on hardwiring our happiness to go, Hey, this is awesome. No, this is the shot I made. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah. And giving that as much attention as the one you miss. Yeah. It it helps. I mean, it's really helped me a lot anyway. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I learned from my mom. She would say you have to celebrate the small things in life because the big things don't come around that often. That's great. That's great. It's so, it's so true. And she would get so excited about the smallest things. So like, even when I would come home for a weekend or whatever, I mean, you would have thought she hadn't seen me in 10 years, you know, she might've seen me just the previous month. So it's so Mm -hmm. great. I, I love that so much because I do think that we need to give like more energy to the positive and less energy to the negative and celebrate like those small things as if they are big things, you know? So that's great. And you know, that's another lesson I've, I've learned from traveling, I think, where you travel to places like, um, you know, Africa and and South America and places like that. And I, you see people, uh, you know, living that subsistence living. And a lot of times I think about people that might be watching our, this podcast here and they go, Oh, well, these guys, of course, they've got it made because, you know, they've, They've got a point in life where they've got 
you know, steady income and they've got happy relationships, but well, well, look at my situation. And if you look at people when you travel, and I understand that too, because I wasn't, I was back in the, in, in, in that time, I've, I've, I've failed spectacularly many times. I've been, you know, unhappy, unfulfilled, stuck in a rut, you know, you name it, we're, we're all humans. But when you see those people, when you travel that have almost nothing and you see, you see that they can still find joy in life, there's still music. They're still singing. There's still smiles. You know, if you don't have wealth, you have people in your life. Uh, yeah. You know, so uh, so your mom ha- has great wisdom there. There's nothing is is more attractive to me in a person that that when they when they see you, they go, "Oh, it's you!" Hey, you know, yeah. maybe we should greet people more like we greet we, we greet our dogs. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> don't you do I mean, I, I don't think you should go up and like rub your ears and stuff. And, but uh, you know, at least give them that that happy attention. That hey, it's so great to see you. And that does wonders for people and for yourself too, because that's that's a you know a nice feedback loop. I like that. I do try to do that too when I when I see people. Um, sometimes I think the Amy Dix greeting is a little too much for people, <laughs> and they're like, uh, "What is she? What what is going on here?" But I do think that it's important to do those things and yeah, so yeah. uh to proactively yeah just have that really great energy around people because why not you know why not <laughs> why not <laughs> uh, that's see that's another great great mantra for life right why yes, not why not i mean i mean you don't want to do the redneck equivalent no hey why not <laughs> go off the cliff but you know hey why not um you know reach out to someone you know call someone you haven't talked to for a while why not pause and look up at the sky and go, wow, this is, this is beautiful. You know, why not? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm going to ask the opposite question to you now, which is why did you write this book? So you're retired and you know, you're earlier before the podcast started recording. I think it was before you said, you know, I'm not trying to create like some big empire now. Maybe you said it during the podcast. I I did earlier. Yeah. So why? Did you want to write this book? Um, for the for the cynical people out there, out there they're going to hate this answer. I did it because I want to make the world a better place. I love it. <laughs> As I say, I remember that movie. Um, it's one with uh, Sandra Bullock, and then she imitates a. Um, she's an FBI agent, and she poses as a beauty contestant. And they ask her. They tell her whenever they ask a question, you know, what's your answer? World peace. You know, oh, uh, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. No, so, you know, they're kind of poking fun at it. But uh, but no, I, the, the, the best uh, the best moments I've had from writing this book is when people come up to me that I don't know or that I do know that have said, hey, this means something to me. You know, thank you so much for doing this. And I got wonderful feedback from my father, who's, you know, your your crusty New Englander and, and my mother, too. Um, they're both still alive and very, very blessed for that. And it was great to, to have them say, hey, you know what, this is actually helping us right now. Mm-hmm. And then people come up on the pickleball court I've never met before. And they say, are you the guy that wrote that book? And yeah. And, and no, it's, it's really, to me, it's just heartwarming. And, and it's also a bit of a legacy thing. You know, you have to, there's a bit of a selfish thing in everything we do. And that's okay, too. But I wanted to put down in words what, what I think I've learned and unlearned over 60 some years. And you know what, if it's, 
if it rings true to you and you get one thing out of it, then mission accomplished. And if not, um, as I write in the book, um, hopefully the book's just the right size to uh, balance your Christmas tree stand and uh, <laughs> stick it under there. And I hope it hope it works out for you. So. Uh, I love it. Well, and also, let me say this first. You are making a difference in the world. So thank you for that um, you. and for your wisdom and sharing your words. And also, I want to point out that the proceeds from your book are also donated to, and I'll let you talk about the organization and and why it's close to your heart. But so when the listeners get a copy of Pickleball and the Art of Living, then they can know that the proceeds are going to an organization that's near to your heart. So let's talk about that. Yeah, part of the proceeds go to uh, international relief teams. I've been on the board for many years and supported them. And what we do is we go around the world and help people out in times of crisis, whether it's a uh, you know earthquake in, in Haiti, whether it's Katrina, which we spent so much time in, in Mississippi and Louisiana sending out building teams to rebuild homes, sending out medicines and support to the Philippines after uh, their, their cyclones, uh, helping out people from the fires out here in California. So wherever that is needed, we're, we're, we're providing assistance. And I, I love the organization because we don't, we don't come in here with our own agenda. We spend a lot of time prior to disasters finding who the best organizations are in different areas of the country and the world. So we know who to go to immediately within minutes that can get the help where it's needed and the type of help that's needed as quickly as, quickly as possible, whether it's sending our own teams out or sending medicines, water purification, whatever. We kind of are like the EMTs for disaster relief. We try to respond quickly and efficiently. And uh, um, yeah, I'm really proud of the work the organization does. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for making this world a better place. You Uh, said uh, you were, thank you. You were summarizing earlier a book and you said, life is not a game of perfect, but here we are trying to make the world better and a more perfect place. So I just want to honor you for that. Thanks, Amy. Where, Mike, can people find you if they want to connect with you? Well, you can go to my website, which is mikebrannon.com. The last name's a little tough to spell. It's uh, the first name's pretty easy. M I K E. Most of us have that down. Got that. Brannon is B R A N O N dot com. You can also find me on the usual Amazon mothership. You can um, type in pickleball book, Mike Brannon, pickleball and the art of living, and it'll it'll come up for you. That's basically it. You can find me if you go on my website. I've got I've got blogs. I've got stretching videos to help you stay healthier. And one thing I want to bring up, you know, we've kind of talked about some serious stuff, but throughout the book, I try to keep it light and funny and humorous. I figure there's been a lot of serious stuff written about living well. And I'm on the team of, you know what, if you're not having a good laugh while you're doing it, then who cares? You know, have some fun out there. Uh, Life is not always that serious, but hopefully this book will help people get out of their own way focus on the positive, enjoy life, and maybe even take up pickleball with us crazy people. <laughs> I might look into this, actually. Uh, also, cool. if you go if you go to Mike's website and click on Pickleball and the Art of Living tab, on there you have the option to get a signed copy from Mike or, of yeah. course, to order it from Amazon. So um, whether you want it for yourself or it would make a great gift. I'm already thinking of people that I can gift it to. So yes, yes. Uh, yeah. So go to his website, mikebrannon.com and click on pickleball and the art of living. Mike, I have one last question for you. Bring it. And it's a question that I ask all the guests. Okay. And it's a two-part question. So 
the first part of the question is, if you only had seven more days left to live, what would you do? Hmm. There'd be pizza. Pizza would definitely be involved. <laughs> um, pickleball, time with my, uh, my kids and my grandson, and of course, my, my beautiful wife. I would want to be able to spend moments with friends, laughing, not commiserating. I would want to laugh. I would want to hear great music. I would want to experience great art. And I would like to take several deep breaths and let my soul go. Love it. Now, the second part of that question is, if you only had seven more days left to live, but you were in a debilitated state, so all we had left was your voice, what is the last bit of advice that you would want to give the world? I would echo the words of uh, Warren Zevon, the great rock and roll artist who who, um, wrote some crazy songs. Enjoy every sandwich. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) So really, just, just enjoy the little things. Just, you know, because there's so much beauty in the world, you know, shift your gaze from from the news feed that brings you down, you know, because when it comes to that time, when we come near the end, the last thing you're going to be thinking about is, you know, what political party is doing what to whom and, you know, what guy embezzled money or whatever. You're going to go, you know what, what, who are the people that made this this ride worthwhile? Let that smile come over your face. Feel the joy of being part of nature, being part of a family. And, uh, and that's, that's a great way to embark upon that next phase. I love it. Mike, thank you so much for unlocking happiness with us today. Great being with you, Amy. Amy Dix here. Thank you so much for listening to Unlocking Happiness. I hope you loved the show. And if you did, post a link to your social media, tag a friend, and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. Help spread more happiness in the world by leaving us a review. If you would like to learn more about what we do, visit choose-happy.me. And if you want to be a future guest, click on the podcast tab to learn more. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Unlocking Happiness with Amy Dix. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and hit subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean the world to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, choose-happy.me, or join our Facebook group called The Happiest Group on Facebook. Thanks for listening. This is Amy Dix, and we will see you next time.